ESPN 97.5 and 92.5 proudly present The Killer Bees. Definitely a fan of The Killer Bees. Don't sweat the technique. Live at the ESPN 97.5 and 92.5 Occasional Invitational Golf Tournament and Wildcat Golf Club. Now, from the Mobile Veritex Community Bank Studios, it's Joel Blank and Jeremy Branham. Oh, hell yeah. You about to get all stung up. What up, H-Town? Hey, how we doing? He's Blank, I'm Branham. It is a Wednesday edition of the Killer Bees on ESPN 97.5, ESPN 92.5. Brian McDonald's out here. Andrew Carlson's behind the glass. Joe George says he's going to be so busy to do our show he couldn't work it. He's over there sitting down having a cold beer. I see that. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's and pretty he has incredible. been doing yeah, that for yeah. a while now. Un- unreal. I- I'm going to be too busy tomorrow. I can't produce your show. Okay, Joe. Joe's sitting over there drinking a St. Arnold's cold beer. Can you believe that? He's so busy. I mean, the beer's not going to lift itself. I guess he's. I guess he's right. I you, guess he's right. You you saw you saw this by the way when we were leaving the show yesterday. He walks up to me with the most serious straight face in the world and goes, "Hey, I'm not going to be able to do the show tomorrow. I'm going to be so busy that I've got a lot going on." I go, "Who's producing? Yeah. Uh, B-Mac's going to be there, but yeah, I'm going to have a lot going on." Yeah. I walk in and he's doing exactly now what he was doing when I walked in an hour ago. Unreal, unreal. It's uh, going to be a lot of fun though. We are at Wildcat. I think a few uh, scores. I think few teams are already in. They all lie about their scores, so there's no sense of us telling you what they are uh but it's a good show planned today i'm sure that we'll have some cameos some hits some laughs lots to get to i'm tired of this astros if season Uh, that's that's the one word i I would use this offseason is it's the theme of this offseason is if a bunch of ifs we'll get to that Uh, what's the best chance of the rockets to uh, how do i want to say this what's the best way for the rockets to get a second star We'll discuss that a little bit later because you start to see cap figures and numbers thrown around for Jalen Green. We don't have to make a decision yet. You can wait. If we're making the call today, that's one thing, but you can wait. Uh, I think the biggest story in the city, though, is should C.J. Stroud play on Sunday? Uh, we, we dabbled into this a little bit. We kind of talked about it a little bit. It's kind of the conversation of the sports scene in the city today is if C.J. Stroud clears protocol, which is no guarantee, uh, it's actually probably a long shot that he clears protocol. I saw a number today where only 22% of players who are concussed play the following week. So it's a better than likely chance that he does not clear the concussion protocol uh, than he does clear the concussion protocol. You can talk about the Denver game a little bit here, too, because, like, is he concussed? Who knows? People are like, well, he can't be concussed because he cleared the concussion protocol on the sidelines. One, that's not a concussion protocol, that, or it is a protocol, but it's not, they're not diagnosing concussions whenever you check on the sideline. That's clear to play. If they don't think there's any signs, you're clear to play. There's also examples of guys who have passed that concussion clear to play, and recently, T.J. Watt did it. T.J. Watt, yeah. first series, I think it was, got concussed was against series. Ezekiel Elliott, came over to the medical tent. They cleared him to play. He put on a dark visor, and then the next day when he reported to the training facility, he said that he was he self-reported concussion-like symptoms. So that stuff is easy to pass. Like, you're checking baseline stuff, baseline questions. You're checking to see if they're dizzy. Can they stand on one leg? It's basically like a, a breathalyzer, kind of. It's like the, the gymnastics that you have to do on the side of the road whenever you get a dewy. They're looking for the symptoms that make it an excessive 
the the excessive to, to make it a yeah. slam dunk concussion. But if you like, if if they give you like count how many fingers and they give you whatever, however they do the, as long as you're answering, you're coherent, and you're answering some questions. More times than not, they're going to let you go back out there unless it's the symptoms that are the, the dizziness. Yeah. You, you know, you can't compute things in your brain. Then that's then they're not going to let you go back out. Tua passed the clear to play right. pr- protocol last off or last season whenever he was like seizing up. Like it, that's well, a, he did that thing with his hand yeah. and everything where they say that's when you're really, really I think that was out. the second one. I think that was the one that he played that week is the one where he, like, seized up like that in the end zone. I can't okay. remember. It's hard to keep Yeah, it up. was because it was two right back-to-back because he, he tried to play. He, the one that – the one, I, you could be right. I'm not saying that you're wrong, but the one that I remember mm-hmm. the first one ha- he had is whenever he kind of, like, you know, he dropped to his knee, remember? He, like, dropped to his knee and yep. then, like, walked off really funny. And then the clear to play, they cleared him to play. And then the very next week, he got concussed again and was doing that weird seizure stuff that happened on the field, which was very, very scary, and then he didn't play again for a very, very long time. So, you know, we don't know if Stroud had a concussion against Denver. Like, they would tell us that he didn't because he passed the clear to play, was never placed in the concussion protocol. So we can't tell you he had a concussion. Uh, you can speculate. You can guess. We can't tell you that he had a concussion. The, the, this past game, he did. Like, he went over to the sideline. He did not pass the clear to play. They pulled him from the game, and now he's in the concussion protocol, which five-step process, rest and recovery, light aerobic activity, more aerobic exercise and strength training, football-specific activities, full football activity. So I think the big debate is, as of right now, if, and it sounds to me like listening to Casario talk with Vandy and John Harris, listening to D'Amico Ryans at his press conference a little bit earlier today, it sounds to me like they're readying for him not to play. Yeah. It's just me reading the tea leaves, total, total guess. I'm wrong on this stuff all the time. But if he is cleared, if he passes this concussion protocol, if he gets through all five steps, which each step requires a doctor and then the final step, an independent doctor, to clear him to play, do you want him to play on Sunday in a playoff implication game with tons and tons of ramifications? I do not. I said it yesterday. I'll say it again today. I know that's tough for a lot of people to digest because of the fact that they are so ahead of schedule and they are in a position to make the playoffs. But the fact of the matter is, this isn't some, you know, this isn't a guy that, that's playing just any other position on the football field. This is the most important position on your football team with the most important player. And you are thinking about the fact that, hey, from a bottom line standpoint, this team is ahead of schedule. All of this is just gravy because they are further along with a chance to do more than just about anybody in their right mind that knows football predicted for this season. The fact that they're going to get that they have a chance to get there a, a year earlier or a year and a, however long you thought it was going to take fantastic but you don't get so far ahead of yourself that you run the risk of doing some significant damage or some damage into the future with a guy that's this important i understand that everybody wants to make the playoffs this year but the fact is you don't run the risk of making the playoffs and thinking about however many games you think they might win and taking the opportunity away or having him limited in some capacity for the next five to seven years when you could be competing for super bowls i'm not doing it yeah Five to seven years might be. I'm just talking about an open window, though, of like opportunity. You've seen the Chiefs run. You've seen a lot of teams. Okay, probably more realistic would be three to five year window where you once you get there, you can maintain it enough to be a Super Bowl type contender. Oh, okay, I misheard you. Like, I think if you have CJ Stroud as your quarterback, you are a contender. I thought that you meant that the ramifications could be like five to seven. No, 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 no. no, no. I'm saying anything. I would agree with that. Yeah, yeah. That five to seven year window of trying to win a Super Bowl. Yeah, I would agree with that. The the thing that I so I'm gonna. 
I guess kind of talking to both sides of my mouth here real quick, and I'm going to add one thing to your defense. Okay. One on top of that, he is a rookie quarterback and very, very young. Yep. Like this would be a lot different if it was like Aaron Rodgers in the twilight of his career and he had a one other opportunity to make the playoffs, or if it was Brady last year. Like it's different to me whenever you're in the twilight of your career versus when you're literally in the infancy of your professional career. So I, I would add that caveat to, to your side of the argument as well. The one thing that I think you might have minimized, though, I, I do think the stakes are significant. Now, do I think the Texans can win a Super Bowl? No. Do I think making the postseason is pretty high stakes? I think it's very high stakes. So I do think that you're minimizing the playoffs a little bit, but it kind of throws it into this whole giant risk versus reward. Is the reward of the playoffs, which I, I think is pretty significant, and I might think it's more significant than you, is it greater than the risk of potential damage of C.J. Stroud? And here's the thing that I really didn't know, like, to start this day when I woke up, I had no idea. I started to put some feelers out there. I started, like, And I saw some dude, like, on Twitter, like, a radio host, no idea what you are talking about. Like, you've been on the battle, you've been on the basketball floors, you've talked to team doctors. I'm on the sidelines for 12 games a year. I, I sit on the buses next to team doctors and athletic trainers. I, I don't, I'm not a doctor, can't diagnose this stuff, but I know what they're looking for. I know, like, how the process works. So that, that's that. The, the question that I wondered today whenever I woke up was, is C.J. Stroud more prone to a concussion by playing Sunday versus waiting another week? Like, is the distance of separation from when he sustained the concussion, is he more likely to occur another concussion if he plays sooner rather than later? Or is it one of those things, hey, you're pregnant, now you're not pregnant, you're not likely to get, you know, something like that? From what I've been told is that you are more likely to get another concussion the sooner you return relative to the initial concussion that you you took. So that's my stance is that if, if this was one of those things where there's no greater risk by playing early versus playing in two weeks, I'd be like, fine, let him go out there, let him play. If it's one of those things where he's cleared, he's cool, the, the, the chances are the same. But the moment that I was told that the chances are higher – Whenever you play sooner and they diminish the further separation you get away from the concussion, that's to me where this is a, this is a slam dunk automatic. I'm not even toying with the idea of playing them Sunday. And then you factor in the fact that whether it was officially ruled a concussion or not, the Denver game, he got his bell rung. So that's an issue. Now he has a full-blown concussion, and we saw how hard his head hit the turf with the helmet. That, so that there's two. Now you run the risk of putting him in, in harm's way if he gets cleared, and you did, you, you just get you can't get out of the way of him. So you let him get in the way of himself and say, I'm going to go play. Now if he gets another one, now that's a three that, that's three shots to the head, whether they were all officially ruled or not, that can stack and rack against you to where you're talking about what I'm getting into about the long-term ramifications. It's not worth The risk is not worth the reward for the short term with how big an open window it is for this kid to lead your team to try and win a Super Bowl in the next five to seven years. And I'm not willing to take that because they've already achieved so much and gotten ahead of schedule mm-hmm. to, to impress so many people. I, you're right. Age matters as well, too. This kid is in the fetal stages of his career. And the last thing you want to do is derail it long term because you decided making the playoffs in his rookie season was more important than keeping the window as open as it can be for the next five to seven years. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm in agreement with you. And, like, you can still make the playoffs even if he doesn't play this week. Like, yeah. that's the other cap. Like, are you underdogs? Yeah, you're three-and-a-half-point dogs. Do the chances decrease if he doesn't play? Yeah, they do. You're capable of beating the Titans with Davis Mills. And even if you lose this game, Joe George was playing whenever he was doing our radio show yesterday, but he was playing with that NFL playoff scenario calculator thing, and he did, he did one good thing. 
He said that the Texans get the 10 wins, it's almost impossible for them to miss the playoffs. Can you lose this week against Tennessee and still get to 10 wins? Yeah, yeah. you can. This is more difficult, yes, sure. but you can still do it. So this isn't a must-win. This isn't a do-or-die game. And if that, frankly, that wouldn't factor into my calculus on this. Even if it was a do-or-die game, I'm still not messing around with the idea of C.J. Shroud if he clears the protocol because I think he's too valuable to all your points. But you can still get to 10. It's not do or die. It's not must win. You can win at Tennessee with Davis Mills. If you don't, you can win out and still make the playoffs. So I'm not toying with the idea at all. No, I mean, he is he is your, your, your gem. He's your crown jewel. He's the guy that you can ill afford to lose long or short term. But you, you'd rather take the loss short term by him not playing this week than take it over the long term by having him try to do something to keep you going way ahead of schedule and then really stunt the absolute growth and potential of this team for the next five to seven years. I'm just not doing it. I know it's tough. It's a tough pill to swallow because so many people are so fired up about that exciting opportunity that we haven't seen in so long here. But you can wait a year and know that you're going to have several years following that where you should be in playoff contention. 713-780-ESPN, HRMP listener line, 713-780-3776. If C.J. Stroud clears the concussion protocol, would you even – tinker with the idea would you even toy with the idea that he should play on sunday 713-780-3776 also i want to play a cj stroud soundbite after he took the hit against denver obviously he hadn't talked to the media since this past game and also pro football doc on the chances of stroud's return sunday 713-780-3776 it's the killer bees on espn 97.5 and espn 92.5 hey guys before we go to the break tell you about my good friend doc linville he's out here today he's playing some golf but he is the best in the business when it comes to the neograph procedure if you don't know what that is let me tell you for a second how it can be a game changer for you if you're losing your hair if you're thinning you got pattern baldness you're flat out bald you don't think there's anything you can do about it doc linville was the one that said i want to tell you about the neograph because i don't know if you're aware of it or not but it's your own hair i take your own hair i take it from a place where you're never going to lose it genetically you're never going to lose it in the sides of the back of your head i put it where you need it most maybe it's in your hairline in front like it was for me maybe you get, i got that baboon's butt that's rearing its head on the back of your dome piece and it's getting shiny and you don't like it well he can handle that he can fix that and i'm telling you it's a game changer it's the neograft procedure and for you as a listener to espn 97.5 you get a consultation with doc and his staff where you can find out all the information about the neograft ask all the questions get all the answers and see if you might be the next candidate to reap the benefits of the neograft procedure. Just go to 975hair.com right now. Sign up for your first appointment. On their site, you can also find out all the information about what it is and how it works with the Neograph. Go in, talk to Doc and his staff. It normally costs 150 bucks. As a listener to our show, you get it for absolutely free. Go in, no obligation, no signing on the dotted line. Ask questions, get answers, and see if it might be right for you, too. No sprays and creams and foams that just mask the problem. It's getting your hair. And genetically, because it's never going away, it's going to be with you for the long haul. Just check it out today. Go to 975hair.com. ESPN 97.5 and 92.5. I'm an idea man, Chuck. What if you mix mayonnaise right in the can with the tuna fish? Hold it. Take live tuna fish and feed them mayonnaise. We're back in the Mobile Veritex Community Bank Studios at the ESPN 97.5 and 92.5 Occasional Invitational Golf Tournament, live, live at Wildcat Golf Club. Here is your radio twosome, the Killer Bees. Twosome that's not golfing today. We would have beat all these liars. Actually, we would have finished middle of the pack. I'm not going to lie. Yeah, I haven't played in so long. I'm not going to uh, probably be worth the, the whole lot for you. Now, I could have lied like the rest of 
scramble groups and posted a score if you wanted me to. Believe me, I've told Everybody you this in the that. past. In all my years with the Rockets tournaments, some of the ex-Rocket players were some of the best pencil whippers yeah. I've ever seen. I'm guessing it's a par 72 out here. I think guessing. so. What do you think? What do you think's the winning score in this this scramble? Well, the weather and the wind and everything like that, they might have to be a little more honest, but it's definitely in the 15-16 range. I'm going to go better score than you just said. You, you think it's going to be, be 18? It'll be a better score. I think it'll be minimum 18 under. With the Eagles and all that? Minimum yeah. eight, and with the lying, yeah. yeah. Yep. Mostly oh, the sure. mostly, And the drinking? Mostly drinking the, yeah. and lying? Not so much the Eagles, more the lying. <laughs> no, <laughs> more but the, more the lying. sober, you realize at a certain point there's going to be people that aren't going to believe me. But when you're drunk and you're confident and you're pencil whipping, you're going to go low. Yeah, they'll go low. So we're asking the question, if C.J. Stroud gets cleared from the uh, concussion protocol, should he play on Sunday? Obviously, he has to be cleared. Like a bunch of people are, are texting, well, if he's cleared, he should pl- you know, play him. There, there's no discussion about that. Like either he doesn't get cleared and he can't play or he's cleared and then D'Amico and Nick and the powers to be, maybe Stroud should be involved in the decision. But if you don't get cleared, you cannot play. Right. It's against the rules. So right. if he clears concussion protocol, uh, should he play? Would you play him? 713-780-3776. You had the T.J. Watt situation last week where he, he cleared the sideline return-to-play protocol and then reported concussion symptoms the next day, and now he's in the concussion protocol. You had the Tua situation last year, all just some things that come into play. The Texans' offensive line has allowed 16 sacks in the last four games. Stroud has suffered at least one concussion and got sent off the field by a referee because he thought he was showing concussion symptoms in the Denver game. Now he was cleared from the sideline return-to-play process. Here's pro football doc, who is kind of a Twitter doctor, but he is a professional. He is a true doctor. He talks about C.J. Stroud's... that Norman Chow? I think so, yeah. The former Chargers doctor that was yep. tra- Travis Johnson's team doctor. Yeah, there you yep. go. We I have appreciate the, the uh, appreciate No, we stab him on the show. There. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Travis Johnson there. Uh, anyways, no, Dr. Chow. <laughs> Here was pro football doc on Stroud's chances to return to play this week. Our numbers show that it doesn't matter, quote, how bad the concussion looks. It's wh- how quickly he clears from symptoms. If he can clear today from symptoms, then he has an outside chance of playing next week. There's no difference in the return of a quarterback versus a lineman versus a running back. It's the same evaluation process. It's not any more significant or less significant. I get it, more attention to quarterbacks, but it is the same process. Our our numbers show over the last couple years it's been consistent, 22% chance of clearing for next week. There you have it. A true doctor, not just some radio host who talks about medical injuries and things that hurt the quarterback. So 22% chance for him to play. So that, that's the math on it. And then now you factor in the question, should he play? Seven, if he does clear, the 22% chance, 713-780-3776. Aggie Matt, if an independent doctor clears him, I think he should play. So there's Aggie Matt's opinion. 9547, look what Shanahan did to RG3's career by rushing him back to win a playoff game. That was... I see your point, and it's a good point. Different, because it was RG3's knee. RG3 also, uh, Dr. James Andrews was the doctor on the sideline of the Washington football team at the time. Dr. James Andrews' testimony to what happened that day and over that time was that he did not clear RG3 to return to the field. And they did it anyways. And then RG3's career was never the same. Nope. Uh, just to throw that factor in there. nine four one one. we don't need a Tua situation uh, where he's getting his block knocked off every single week. See, this is the fear, too. Like, you, we, 
And this is kind of, I think, maybe your point. Like, the arrow's pointing up on this organization. Uh, Making the playoffs would be awesome. Uh, Are they a Super Bowl contender? No. So what are you really taking away? You're taking away a potential at a playoff possibility. The biggest fear in this entire situation is you go into the offseason, like Miami went into the offseason last year, where you don't know the long-term health of your quarterback. And I'm not saying that C.J. Stroud's going to have to ask questions, are you ever playing football again like Tua did, but imagine going into the offseason with the uncertainty of how long your quarterback can stay healthy, much like Miami did. To me, that's the biggest fear factor of all of this. It's a great call because if you think about it, when we were talking about the Dolphins going into this season, we were talking about a a do-or-die situation. If Tua plays, they could compete to go a long way in the AFC and be a, a contender in the AFC. If Tua doesn't, because he was even contemplating retirement, well then what does that say about the rest of the franchise? And then look no further than a team in your own division with the Colts. You have everything else, and the Texans are on a path to get almost everything else in the next year or two with the way they're, with the money they have to spend, with the draft capital that they have, with the fact that they already have a very good and improved roster. But the Colts struggled because the one major position they couldn't fill and they kept trying to throw Carson Wentz and Matt Ryan and all these guys into the mix was the fact that they couldn't get quarterback right and that kept them from getting where a lot of people thought they could go. That's what could happen if you take a guy like C.J. Stroud and he he starts getting the, the, con, the, the concussions over and over again. Now... Every time you get in the head, hit in the head for the next couple of years, the chances are greater you could get another concussion. The symptoms become quicker when you keep getting them and experiencing them. And Troy Aikman and other guys went through it. We mentioned uh, you know, the show a couple days ago with some of the guys that have experienced excessive concussions. You don't want to do anything that can derail this train heading in the right direction right now if you're the Houston Texans. 713-780-ESP at HRMP listener line. 713-780-3776-1483 brings up your point. Ask Troy Aitman when you get a chance uh, about hits to the head. We don't. We don't roll in the same company. Dignitaries like Troy Aitman don't hang out with the killer bees. Uh, one five six five. No, you don't have a shot at getting past the divisional round. That's the other part of it too. Is like. Is because the Texas the Texan ceiling is division round. Maybe the biggest homers would say AFC Conference Championship. That's probably a super reach. Should that factor into the conversation as well? I would go as far to say that in a rookie year it shouldn't, but it doesn't hurt the conversation or doesn't hurt the point in the side of uh, let's wait, let's wait a week. Let's wait one more week before we finally make that decision. Yeah, look, from my personal opinion, looking at the situation. I think that they've had a hell of a season no matter what, and I think that they have really turned a corner. But realistically, I, I think the divisional round is probably the ceiling for them. I think that, you know, they, they could get in. They could maybe win, a, win one playoff game, maybe. But that's where I think the ceiling hits. And, and that's not worth taking a risk to where you could lose your star for the foreseeable future or you could put them in – in a riskier proposition for the next several years and possibly limit him, I'm, not t- I'm taking no chances at this point in his career and at this point in where this team currently sits in terms of making advancements to be a better football team. So part of the, I think part of this conversation, too, has to be the Denver game. Uh, some people, I think, would throw it out. I think some people would discount it all entire, like entirely that, you know, you don't know if C.J. Stroud got hit in the head. Like, whenever he came out of the game, it was a quarterback sneak. Was he just a little dizzy? Like, he kind of points to his rib cage a little bit. Did his wind – like, did, did, did uh, he get the wind knocked out? Did he feel a little bruise or contusion of the ribs? Like, there's a lot of – like, there's, there's a lot of gray area there. 
they never said what the injury was. They never said anything. We just saw C.J. Stroud leave the pile, looked a little bit daisy, pointed to his rib, was kind of wobbly. Maybe he stepped in an offensive lineman's foot. You had the official that sent him over to the sideline. You had the head athletic trainer for the Texans say, let's take you to the medical tent. He goes into the medical tent, comes out of the medical tent, leaps over the bench, was the greatest leap over the bench in you know, NFL history, and then he runs back on the field two plays later. Uh, he did talk after the game, though. C.J. Stroud talked after the game about that hit. He was asked by uh, Christy, how do you say her last name, Reichen, Reichen? How do you say Christy for the AP? Christy, she's everywhere. Oh, I know who you're talking about, I but I don't know. I, don't, I, don't, I think yeah. it's Reichen. Anyways, he was asked after the game in the press conference about that knock that took him out of the game, and here was C.J. Stroud's response to that. Um, yeah, I, I, I took a, a little shot, you know, um, football. Um, and I was fine. I felt all right, but they rest felt like I was out of it or whatever, and took me out of the game, and I went in the tent as fast as I could, jumped over uh, a bench and ran on the field, you know. So uh, it's football. You got to be tough. And I feel like I tried to do my best and to play through injury or play through whatever. You know, everybody's hurt right now. So I just keep going. So the two, two things that stood out to me, that well, three, the toughness, which was something that kind of got a reaction out of you. I love that quarterback's tough. Sometimes the toughness can be like you got to protect the player against the player. One thing he said is he took a shot. Yeah, it could be anywhere. It could be to the head. It could be to the ribs. I don't know. But he says the referee thought I was out of it. That's the biggest and point. And Stroud never said anything to the contrary. So, like, are we reaching? Maybe. Maybe. I think it's. I think at least it is plausible that Stroud took a blow to the head against Denver. It's plausible that already was a concussion. And if he was playing the next week against New York, now we know he had a concussion. So you've had a concussion last week. You've had at least the possibility of one two weeks ago. If he clears the protocol, you put him out there, you're doing damage to C.J. Stroud. You just can't take the risk because whatever, however you want to read through that, he didn't say, it was my ribs. He didn't say, it was my ankle. He didn't say, I went to the blue tent because the trainers thought that there was something going on with something below the neck. Basically, the hints that he gave you were the official thought that I looked a little dazed or a little wobbly, they put him in the tent. If that's the case, then that's all you need to know, that it was probably a dome shot, and whether it was you know, classified right there on the field as a concussion or not, that's enough to say he's taken a blow to the head, and now a week later he's taken a, a nasty blow to the head yeah. to where you have to be concerned. I'm not going to go as far to say that he was definitely concussed against Denver. Oh, you can't I'm going to say, say it. You can't say it. You, literally, you can't say it. You can say it's possible. Yep. You can say that it's within the realm of possibility. So you have a concussion last week. You have a within the realm of possibility concussion two weeks ago. You put C.J. Stroud out if it clears the concussion protocol on Sunday. You're doing a disservice to the Texans. You're doing a disservice to Stroud. You're doing a disservice to the long-term future of this organization. Absolutely, and that's not a risk I'm willing to take. I'm just not doing it. And there's very few guys that I understand, like, you know, there are certain guys you want to have on the field and you have a better chance to win with an outstanding left tackle, with certain impact players at skill positions. But he's just too valuable and he's shown you too much in his rookie year, to your point, to where you just can't take the risk because it's not worth the reward where the rest of this team is. Aggie Matt says, Blankers, wouldn't you have taught a Rocket to not specify their injuries? If they'd listen. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah. I think that there's a way to handle a press conference, sure, and there's a gamesmanship part of that from a team standpoint. But even then, we're not talking about an elbow or a hamstring or a calf muscle or an ankle. A player should never be coerced by someone at the team to what to say or not to say at a press conference when it's involving something sure. like a concussion or your head. Yeah, I will agree with Aggie Matt here a little bit, though, because you have C.J. Stroud who wants to play. He's not saying that. 
He's no. not going to say, oh, no, yeah, but, knock to my head. But, yeah, you, to, to Matt's point, though, the one thing you do is you speak in generalities yeah. and you don't give anything away at all. And you and should just say, yeah, it was just an issue on the field. We rectified quickly and we moved on. Let's be honest, too. The teams want nothing to do with the protocol, even if the player's not concussed, because now you have to clear something and you need an independent doctor to clear him to play. So, like, if you can avoid a protocol, you're going to avoid a protocol. And I've seen so many times, and I know it's college football, I know it's a little different. I've seen so many times in college football, other teams all the time, where a dude gets domed and I'm like, oh, he's concussed, doesn't come out of the game, I'll go read the opposing papers the next day, that player's in the concussion protocol. Hundreds of football players every year hide a concussion so they can get through the game, and then the next day, like, hey, don't think you're all that right. 713-780-ESPN, HRMP listener line, 713-780-3776. Are these Texans playing down to their competition, or is it something else? All these quarterbacks who have beaten the Texans, the Jets with Zach Wilson, AFC Player of the Week, uh, the Panthers with Bryce Young, his only win all year, Desmond Ritter, who got benched after he beat the Houston Texans. Are the Texans playing down to inferior competition, or is it something else that's going on? 713-780-3776. It's the Killer Bees on ESPN 97.5 and ESPN 92.5. ESPN 97.5 and 92.5. Dude. I'd be most worried about seeing my seminal vesicles. I like the Florida State seminal vesicles. It's the Killer Bees, live at the ESPN 97.5 and 92.5 Occasional Invitational Golf Tournament at Wildcat Golf Club. Now, from the Mobile Veritex Community Bank Studios, it's Joel Blank and Jeremy Branham. He's blank. I'm Branham. There's already one seventeen under. So I already won our bet. There you go. We didn't bet, but yep, I don't doubt it. I just thought maybe someone might find some honesty in their game yeah. with the conditions, but maybe not. The uh, he's blank. I'm Branham. Joe Joe left that promo in there that uh, we talk about the greatness that is C.J. Stroud after he has a concussion. Really good. Work. He was just too busy, you know, working the occasional invitational. That's what happened. Uh, is, is that what you call what he's doing right now? He's too, yeah, he's working. 713-780-ESPN-HRMP listener line, uh, 713-780-3776. So the Houston Texans, they're 7-6. and six. And look, I mean, 7-6 and six means you're around a 500 team. In today's day and age, with seven playoff teams, 7-6 and six also means you're in the hunt. And it means if you finish strong over the next four games, you're going to be in the postseason. You're going to be in the playoffs. The thing that stinks when you look at just the 2023 season, and look, Texans' future's great. And, you know, the health of C.J. Stroud's a big variable when you talk about the health and the future of the Texans being great. But if you look at it from only a 2023 perspective, if you miss out on the playoffs, yes, the injury to Stroud, if he misses games, is going to be something that, oh, shucks, darn it, son of a gun. So is losing to inferior competition. The Houston Texans have lost to Bryce Young. They lost to Desmond Ritter, who was later benched. And then they lose to Zach Wilson, who looked like he didn't have a pulse. And the Texans allowed him to throw for over 300 yards in the rain. Stop using that as an excuse. It was late. was named earlier today the AFC Offensive Player in the Week. So are the Texans playing down to competition, or do you think that there, there's something else going on whenever they play these inferior QBs? We've discussed this a little bit previously in the fact that we know who they lost to. We know how they played when they played. I don't think there's no, any doubt that they started playing to the level of their competition because I think early on they weren't even sure how good they could be. Obviously, you want to win every game, but you were trying to figure out your own identity. 
But going into that Carolina game, I think they were feeling – I think that there were several times where they started to feel pretty good about themselves. But I think there's no doubt that they have played to the level of the competition because they played awful and the game plan was awful against Carolina. It was terrible. The, the Atlanta game was an extremely winnable game that I thought they should have dominated, and they didn't. And when you look at some of the games they lost, like the Jets game, the fact is the guy on the other sideline shouldn't have been able to do what you're supposed to be able to do best, regardless of his long passes, intermediate passes, short passes. Their offense was their biggest hindrance. It was, It is your biggest strength. And you got absolutely boat raced by Zach Wilson, and that should never happen. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I think that maybe it's the sign of the Texans' defense just not being very good. Uh, if you look at like where they are DVOA, it's around 20. If you look at where they're at just in yards per game, it's around 20. Uh, Stooch was out at the, the press conference earlier today, and he asked Amico Ryan's like, "Is there something in play here? Like, what? Why are you guys sucking against you know bad quarterbacks?" He, paraphrasing, he did, certainly didn't use those words. And Amico's answer this from Stooch's Twitter: "We've we've helped those guys tremendously. Busted coverages, guys not being on the details of where we should be. Mainly, it's been bust on our part. He's basically saying that it's us who have made the other quarterbacks look good." And I would argue that it's that way most of the time. Like when a quarterback has a big game, yes, he played well, but the other team probably didn't play very good. So this is, I mean, unacceptable if you want to use that word, sure. If the Texans ultimately miss the playoffs by a game, you're going to look back and be like, hey, we should have beat Zach Wilson. Eh, should have beat Bryce Young. Yeah, should have beat Desmond Ritter. I think that the bigger story here is, though, is that the Houston Texans really aren't where they want to be defensively and that the truth of it is that they're a bottom half defense in the NFL as opposed to a top half defense in I mean, the NFL. It's one thing to say D'Amico, if he had the, the, the kind of players that he had in San Francisco, that he could scheme up a, a, a game plan to beat a guy like Zach Wilson. It's another thing to say he knows what he'd like to do, but he has to have the personnel to be able to execute it. But the fact of the matter is, is that we've talked about both coordinators are doing, you know, D'Amico's calling plays because he played column in San Francisco, but your offensive coordinator was calling plays. He's calling plays for the very first time. He's had some hiccups. Carolina was one of them for sure. You could say Atlanta was for sure, uh, possibly. But the one, but the Jets game, it was bad. And, and you look at from a D'Amico standpoint, now here's a guy that, it, that it may be limited by the personnel, but he's called plays before. But the fact that he sat in a lot of zones and let Zach Wilson do a lot of things he shouldn't have been able to do and didn't really get out of that, and then you got the two quick touchdowns in the third quarter, and suddenly it looks like the game's over, that's on you as well as it's on your personnel. Yeah, uh, this texture, 713-780-3776-1185 says depth. Depth was the biggest thing that I was looking at early in the year. Was like, eh, if this team... If this team has playoff aspirations, my biggest knock on it is that the lack of depth is just not there. And it's because you're in the early stages of trying to build what you feel is a playoff caliber team. We didn't think the Houston Texans were going to be in a position to make the playoffs. At least, you know, most of us, you and I certainly didn't, uh, going into the final four weeks. When you look at the Texans starters opening day, it's like, okay, this is this is pretty good. But you also know that football has a – it's a matter of attrition. So you're going to have injuries over the, the course of the, of the year. You're going to have injuries over the course of 17 games. I don't think that the Texans are there yet when it comes to the depth. You you have a Blake Cashman who actually was a backup. He goes down, and now a, a Hanson brother is starting at a li- is playing a bunch of snaps at linebacker. Henry Toa Toa, who a you know, great story, wore the green dot for a moment. He's not an NFL caliber starting linebacker. 
linebacker. I don't think he ever will be. He's certainly not that in his rookie year. You look at the secondary. I mean, Xavier Thomas was playing. Your, he was your nickel corner up until two weeks ago. You signed a dude that you cut. Maybe you shouldn't have ever cut him. And he's immediately your starting nickel. You look at who's playing corner whenever Stingley goes down. Shaq Griffin, who is no longer on this football team. So 1 through 11, or 1 through 22, I should say, 11 starters on both sides of the ball. It looks good. But 23 to 45? <laughs> 23 yeah. to 45, not so good. And that's where the Texans have to get better. Yeah, I think to your point, too, on 202 is the fact that he might end up being a starting linebacker for some teams in this league. They're not going to be playoff caliber teams. They're not going to be Super Bowl caliber teams. He's a guy that's a very useful backup type player that could be a starter and a spot starter or on a lesser than. Yeah. But you're not trying to be a lesser than. And so that kind of goes back to what I was saying about D'Amico having the kind of resources or looking to have eventually the resources he had in Frisco when he had backups that were quality veteran players that could be put into the lineup when guys go down. Look at the offensive line. The fact that whether you put that on Casario as well, that you knew that injuries were coming, but you couldn't have prepared for the amount of injuries uh, to the level that they've sustained them. But maybe you could have at least a little better with the depth that you brought in because you were panicking at the start of the season to try and find a couple of guys that had some kind of experience to be able to come in, not just come in and be a backup, come in and almost immediately start Mm -hmm. because the depth is going to come over time. And because this roster was so bad a year ago, no matter what you did to bring it along quickly, you don't have too deep at the posi- at, at any position group really where you need them. Yeah, and I'm not really blaming anybody for that. No, it's, it's just, more it's of part of the, it's the part growth. Of, yeah, it's part of the growth of the organization. Seven one three seven eight zero three seven seven six. Out to the HRMP listener line, Andy. You're in the hive of the bees. What's up? Hey guys, what, what gets me is is how is this offensive line the last two or three weeks playing so bad compared yeah. to the makeshift offensive line we had for the first three or four weeks? Appreciate the call, Andy. I, I don't. It's hard to explain. It's hard to explain. I think there's a combination of a lot of things. I think one of it's probably these defensive coordinators are watching film on yeah. where, where the Texans are struggling offensively uh, in protection. It seems like the other teams' defenses and coordinators they, they attack the Texans with trying to make them guess where cover where like where the pressure is coming from. Like you had the Jets. I mean, Quinton Williams is just going to beat Michael Dieter more times than not, so he's going to generate pressure more times than not because he's a way better football player than most centers, especially Michael Dieter. But you see a lot of the uh, the game plans that for defenses that play the Texans, you'll notice like, okay, let's send a five-man rush here and let's flood one side and make the Houston Texans have to decide who they're going to block. You go back and watch the Jets game and it's like, there's a couple of different instances where George Fant like, I'm going to take the inside guy, leave the outside guy. I expect to have running back help there and it never gets there. I, I think that it's communication more than it is talent. I think it's, I don't know if it's like the, what they're going into the huddle with. I don't know if it's pre-snap with C.J. Stroud, with Michael Dieter calling out like the line coverages and and things like that, uh, but you can tell that opposing defenses are either like they're making the Texans think post snap, and they're struggling with it a lot. It's also the difference too, Jeremy. When you start talking about each individual has a shortcoming, right? Juice has never been in this situation before to play against an NFL, you know, NFL defensive lineman and see some of the the kinds of exotic schemes and things that are coming at him. Dieter was a guy that we didn't want to see on the line anywhere until we had to have someone play center, and you look at it and go, well, he actually didn't do horribly, so we're going to keep putting him out there. But does he have the experience, to your point, of making the calls, reading the defenses, doing what he needs to do? George Fant's a guy that's got the experience, but is he at a point in his career, and was he ever the kind, you know, was he ever at his peak 
where he could do these things probably at one point, but at this point in his career, being asked to do it week in, week out, play after play after play, at his, where he is physically, is he capable of doing it? I don't think so. But when you look at the big picture, too, you're looking at, we talk about cohesiveness as a unit on the offensive line and how these guys work and play together. The musical chairs that I always talk about, it was happening again, but now it's happening with not the kind of guys that moving a, a, a quality offensive lineman like a Titus Howard from right tackle to left guard, but you're still getting, a, 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 you know, in his prime, an offensive lineman in the NFL. You're taking guys off the scrap heap, the rookie, the, the, the rookie draft class, and everything else and going, go do what starting linemen in the NFL do. That's a difficult proposition, and when you start talking about how much time they have to keep doing it against quality defenses, it's going to catch up to you at some point. Maybe maybe it's simply that you lost your center, and then those coverages just haven't been there because you have a backup center that's not as good at it as Jared Patterson was. Patterson got hurt in the Carolina game. Uh, these last seven games have been struggles, specifically the last four, though. Uh, so maybe there's something there, maybe there's not. 713-780-ESPN, the HRMP listener line, 713-780-3776. Is, is the new Dodger offensive trio better than the Astros offensive trio? And who else belongs in the conversation as the best trios in the league? 713-780-3776. Killer Bees broadcasting live from Wildcat on ESPN 97.5 and ESPN 92.5. ESPN 97.5 and 92.5. We're your daddy. You was a toilet baby. Tip just popped down like a little old turd. Just right down in a bowl. You are live in the hive with the killer bees. The hive is currently buzzing from the ESPN 97.5 and 92.5 occasional invitational golf tournament at Wildcat Golf Club. Here's Joel and Jeremy. He's Blank. I'm Branham. Broadcasting live from Wildcat Golf Club, the home of the occasional invitational, where at least 17 under is going to win this bad boy. Not like you care. Uh, 713-780-ESP at HRP listener line. So Shohei Otani, some of the details on Shohei Otani's contracts are coming out. We know the deferred money, $68 million. There's a provision in his contract that if a certain member of the organization gets fired, that he can opt out of his deal that year. It doesn't. What? It doesn't. Yeah, it doesn't name who that that individual is. If I'm the general manager and I signed a superstar, I would have loved to put that in his contract because now if you fire if you fire if me, him, yeah. Shohei can leave. Like I don't. It doesn't say who it is. Is it the video coordinator? Because yeah. I mean, if you can help Mookie and JD, you might be able to help him. Maybe so. It doesn't say who it was. I'm sure eventually it'll come out with like records requests and things like that. But uh, yeah, that, that's part of the contract. So his contract is just weird, right? He's get the two million. I emailed my tax guy actually, and I I emailed my tax guy. And my friends, one of her best friends, is like you know she's a financial advisor, and I I had uh, you know I reached out to her too. So I asked the financial advisor. I asked my tax guy. Shohei Otani, $68 million, whenever that kicks in in 11 years, would he still have to pay state taxes to California? And they're like, yeah, I have no idea. So, like, the sharpest minds I know financially have no clue if he's going to, like, owe money to California on the $68 million that he's getting in deferrals later on. So his contract's bizarre. It's weird. If I'm the state of California, it wouldn't surprise me if they eventually sue Shohei Otani because you do all the math on the deferrals. It's like $88 million for the state. The state of California isn't going to ask for their $88 million. I doubt it. See, that's why when you and I were talking about it when we first got the breaking news of what, what he was doing, I was like, yeah, it sucks if you're the Astros and every other team in this league, and you should be pissed off. But 
I know it sucks to say this, but kudos to the, the guys in the front office that figured out all the, the, the structure of this contract to do it this way and basically say, hey, as long as this is the system that's in place, if I'm not breaking the rules and I'm, I'm, I'm being creative, Daryl Morey would have lost his mind with joy for someone other than himself because this is the kind of stuff Daryl did all the time until the league got in the middle of it and said you can't do that. And kudos to the Dodger people that did it. I know that really hurts to say that, but ingenious in the way they thought about it. But it's interesting because MLB Network keeps running, running all the crawl that says no opt-outs in the deal well that sounds like a pretty solid opt-out to me that well it's only if it gets it's only if it gets triggered right but still that that's a way to get out of the deal at an unbelievable if i you're right if i'm the gm and i made this deal i got a little less concern about what i put on paper and what the the, the organization's committing to because basically they're committing to me just as much as they're committing to you now i think it's more likely that it's probably like his interpreter and not the general manager but so I don't. I have no idea. But yeah, I mean, I could see him fighting for his interpreter. Like, I you're mean, not going to fire my but, guy because if you do, I can opt out. So I, I, I but, it could. Like, I probably it'd be more likely to be him, a guy that he knows, than the general manager. But I bet having, you it's not Dave Roberts. What, what, I bet you it's not Dave Roberts either. But it could be a hitting coach. It could be a lot of different things. But from the interpreter standpoint, having dealt with Yao and his interpreter, yeah, I, I can say this unequivocally: when you sign a guy to that much money, that's going to be that big of a part of your your, your franchise. You are a lot – look, every guy, Harden had his own security guy that he picked and the team paid. And, and Dwight Howard had the same thing, and, and most of the superstars did too. They're going to accommodate you even if they don't like him. Look what happened with Belichick and Brady. Brady had his guy that for years, no matter how much he annoyed the training staff and everybody involved in it, that he was Brady's trainer, so he was allowed to have total access, do everything, and be a part of – on the sidelines, be a part of the team until at a certain point when you knew the breaking point was near, that they broke it up. And they got rid. They got rid of him being on the sidelines. But other than that, it, 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 teams are going to cater to their best players. Yeah, I just I, I don't think that he would fight for this in his contract for a complete stranger. I, I think he would fight for it for somebody that he knows. He doesn't know the hitting coaches there. He doesn't know Dave Roberts. Like to me, it's probably somebody that he's bringing with him. Whether it's a you know stretch guy, whether it's in inter- who knows. It, it, it could very well be a guy just like that, like Brady had, like his trainer. Yeah, it could. Like that's, that's what I'm saying. Like it's probably somebody that he knows that he's bringing with him, as opposed to somebody who's yeah. already working there. Um, this new Dodger trio, though, you look at what they have offensively. Mookie Betts, Freddie Freeman, and now Shohei Otani. Major League Baseball, they, they were listing the top trios offensively in the entire league. They list that trio as the best in baseball. Betts, Freeman, Shohei. Do you think the Astros could challenge that, though, with their trio? Jordan, Tucker, Altuve. Would you go Jordan, Tucker, Altuve, or Betts, Freeman, Shohei? Well, I'll tell you what. I, I mean... I think it's a pretty good fight right from the get-go because, it, you know, Mookie hasn't had the type of season that he had when he when he was in Boston since he got to the Dodgers, now he, and he has versatility. But if you just go, like, across the board, I'm, I'm going to put Jordan up against any of those three and bet that he has better power numbers and, it, and close to the same average numbers. So I, I think that you win at least one of the three head-to-heads. I would put Altuve up against Mookie, and I would take Altuve over Mookie. Now, Freddie Freeman's a hell of a stick still, and he's he does, really good. and he's so super good. I so, think Freeman's the best of those three. Actually. So if you get a, you know, if you get the same kind of Tucker, whether you win or lose the third one, I think two out of three you win. So I would take the Astros. I think the knock on the Astros trio would be health. 
You know, Jordan's never been healthy his entire career. He was hurt last year. Altuve's coming off a year in which he was hurt. So I think that would be the ding on the Astros. But they list the Astros third here. I think Jordan of those six, I think when Jordan's healthy, he's the best hitter of those six. No doubt. But I think I would have Freeman second, though. I I, I would agree with that. I I factor in the age because Altuve's a little older than everybody on the Dodgers. You've got young guys in Jordan and Tucker. Altuve's a little, you know, down the road for the the other five guys. Betts, Freeman, Otani are pretty much in the prime of their career. Yep. But, uh, I mean, Mookie Betts can't hit unless he has that duty brought over from Boston. But he's got him. He's got him, though. Uh, the Braves were second. Acuna, Olsen, Riley. All Olsen does is hit home runs. I think Olsen has more home runs in baseball than anybody in, like, the last four years yeah, he's been, or something yeah, like that, which yep. most people wouldn't answer that. Who is the leader? Who in baseball has the most home runs in the last four years? Not a lot of people would say Matt Olsen no. if you didn't know the answer to that question. That's like, did you see, off the top, but on the same topic, did you see who has the most threes in the NBA over the last uh, three or four years? I guess it wouldn't be Steph because he's always hurt. Uh, I have no idea. Buddy Heald. That's a shocker. Who in the hell would think Buddy Hill? That's the same way to your point. That's amazing. Like to me. Matt Olson for home runs over that that long yeah. period of time, but we forget that the A's had some good years when Olson and Chapman were hitting bombs. Yeah. One one seven seven. That gives the Dodgers a way out if things aren't going great. They can fire that guy and hope for an opt out. Yeah, but if it's not going great, the part of the opt out too in this is like if he does opt out, is he still does he still get the deferred money? He's got to, right? Has like, to. At least, at least through the years that, like, if he opts out before his sixth year, I would think that he at least gets deferrals in his first five. Ooh, that's a good question. He has to get deferrals in his first five, I would think. Yeah, because he's doing the team a favor by setting it up like that. You can't just suddenly opt out and walk away. But if it, if it was an ugly divorce, yeah. I think the team would explore it. Yeah. Well, zero seven nine four thoughts on Glass now and Margot possibly going to the Dodgers. Rich get richer. Uh, I think Glass now is really good. He's kind of made of glass though. Sometimes he gets hurt. He is the final year of his deal, and this is what the Rays do. Before Coming anybody leaves surgery. in free agency, the Rays trade them and get return on the investment, and they kick the cans down the the uh, the road over and over. Oh, okay. Seven one three seven eight zero ESPN. Jeff Blum, uh, he has exited the building. We were going to get him on, but one of his playing partners says that he's left the building. I guess he didn't play all that well. I'm going to text him and say he's doing us dirty. Seven one three seven eight zero three seven seven six. Killer bees on ESPN ninety seven five, ESPN ninety two five. So we mentioned earlier Zach Wilson. He won the AFC Offensive Player of the Week. What does that make you feel? Zach Wilson winning the Offensive Player of the Week in the AFC makes you feel. Fill in the blank. 713-780-3776. Killer Bees on ESPN 97.5, ESPN 92.5. Hey, guys, before we go to the break, we know that Christmas is right around the corner. You probably didn't do your shopping yet because you're a guy. You don't do those things ahead of schedule. You do them at the last minute. Don't worry about doing them last minute. Get online right now. Go to pajamagram.com. You don't have to do a whole lot, and you can be a hero in your household this year. For your significant other, there is nothing better for uh, a young lady than the beautiful, soft, silky, supple, unbelievably smooth to the touch nude pajamas that they have at nude-like pajamas uh, at pajamagram.com. I'm telling you right now, if you get the naturally nude pajama set, she is going to love them. You're going to be a hero. She's going to wear them for you, and it's going to be the gift that keeps on giving. But right now, when you get those naturally nude pajamas, people at Pajamagram are going to be so generous, they're going to give you a two-for-one and throw in the nightgown, a $75 value, for absolutely free. 
you get two different versions of the naturally nude uh, line of clothing. You get the pajamas, you get the nightgown. You tell them, hey, wrap it for me too. They'll get it to you before Christmas. You just put it under the tree, and you are golden. You're a hero during the holidays and all year long. She wears them for you. You benefit as well. It's a happier-than-happy holiday season. Go to pajamagram.com right now and check out the naturally nude pajamas. Get the nightgown thrown in for free and be a hero this Christmas and all year long. ESPN 97.5 and 92.5. Now with more nougat. You and Lance didn't f*** for a year. That's just because he dabbed all the time. 